Our scripture this morning is Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, which can be found on page 613 in your Black Pew Bibles. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really good to see everybody this morning. Uh, And we're on the week of Advent that is joy, and the irony isn't lost on me that the pastor that got joy is the one with resting serious face. <laughs> I got more of a laugh than I expected. <laughs> At both services. <laughs> Self-awareness is a good thing. Hey, during the season of Advent, we've been focusing on a different theme each week. The first week we preached from Genesis 3 about the first proclamation, the very first announcement of the hope of the gospel. Last week we preached from Isaiah about the nature of transformation that the peace of God is going to bring. Next week we're going to focus on love, and specifically we're going to focus on love that comes to God's people uh, through adoption. And then as, as members of God's household. And this week... Our subject is joy. It's joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We all know the song and we understand some idea that joy is an integral component of this season. But for many people in the room, it's precisely a kind of intensified celebration of joy that also brings with it an intensified experience of loss or an intensified season of grief. For some people in this room, you're celebrating the first Christmas since mom died. Or this is the first Christmas since your kids have moved out of the house and they got married. Or maybe they're celebrating with the in-laws this year and you're not even going to see them. For others in the room, there's going to be awkward dinners where hard conversations are going to be avoided. Or there's family history that's been swept under the rug for years and everyone knows it's still there, but there's there's this unspoken expectation that nobody says anything. And I get it that in moments like that, the joy of Christmas feels thin or light. It feels superficial or or appears vulnerable to evaporation. What does joy, what does Advent joy have to do with those kinds of situations? And the fact is, is that on this side of eternity, while we wait, we'll always co-mingle our joy with our despair. 
on this side of eternity will always set our deepest joys right up against our deepest sorrows and deepest disappointments. And as Christians, we're waiting much like these people were waiting during this prophecy in Isaiah. You see, the story of the universe goes like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And in Advent, we celebrate the redemption peace accomplished, and we celebrate the inauguration of Christ's kingdom, and we look forward to his return for the restoration of all things. We're waiting. We're awaiting people. We're waiting for the final act of the story. And part of what it means for us as people who are already new creations in Christ, part of what it means to wait is for us to live in a world that's groaning for Christ to return, groaning for Christ to arrive again, groaning for that final consummation of the new creation, groaning for our faith to finally become sight. In the Old Testament, for the people of God, the salvation of the Lord was received by faith. And, these, and, they, and, and they stood on these kind of promises by faith. They looked forward to the Messiah by faith. Isaiah's talking about a day when these, that these people, the people that he was actually preaching to, they really never got to see. And now we walk by faith in what Christ has done, and we walk with a pregnant faith towards his second coming, the restoration of the universe. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together. They sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord. That's your very own eyes get to see it. The return of the Lord of Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. It means he's flexed his muscles and he's moved. He's done something. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. What does the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago have to do with my joy, your joy, right here today? What's the meaning and the news about What's with all the singing and the carols and the hoopla of this season? And to answer those kinds of questions this morning, we're going to look at this text from Isaiah and talk about just four things quickly. We're going to talk about Advent joy and the nature of good news, Advent joy and the gift of peace, Advent joy and human happiness, and Advent joy and God's salvation. So before I do that, I'm going to pray for us quickly. Would you all join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, the words uh, from the song, the carol that we sung, far as the curse is found, rings in my heart and in the burdens of my soul this morning. Far as the curse is found, there is groaning for Christ to return. And I've got that curse in my heart and the curses inside my friends' hearts and the sin and the ramifications of the curse and the consequences of that curse are everywhere in our lives. So I pray this morning that joy, true joy, 
would take up more habitation in our hearts, would take up more space inside our hearts. I pray for my friends. I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, press more of your good news down deeper into the corners and crevices of our fickle hearts. I pray that everywhere the curse is found, that we would see your grace as bigger and stronger. That everywhere the curse is found, we would be reminded of your strong right hand that has dealt a death blow to darkness and has promised to do something about our sin, our guilt, promised to restore all things. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Advent joy and the nature of the good news. The first thing that makes good news good is the fact that the bad news is bad. We live in an era of history. We live in an era or an area of the world that's full of luxury. And we live in a country that's full of luxury. And in the midst of wealth, in the midst of luxury, in the midst of ease, it's easy to forget about the bad news. That happened to God's people in the, in the Old Testament, God's nation in the Old Testament all the time. And ease and luxury, when things go well for us, it's easy to forget about the bad news. And in the book of Isaiah, the bad news is really bad. It's really bad. Isaiah chapter 1 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. <clears throat> the news that comes throughout the book of Isaiah is bad news. Bad news in all shapes and sizes. Bad news about people's behavior. Bad news about the people's hearts. Bad news about injustice and violence and vice and sexual immorality and idolatry. The book of Isaiah is full of very, very bad news about disobedience, about defiance and rebellion, both of God's people and other powerful nations in the world at the time. But all this sin in the book of Isaiah isn't even the worst news yet. The baddest bad news is that all this sin and injustice and unrighteousness and idolatry incurs, invites, warrants, calls forth the wrath of a holy God. God hates sin and God will not turn a blind eye. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is the transgression of God's moral law. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is offending, affronting, and rebelling against the holy God. Sin is insulting God and turning to worship the creature instead of the creator. Sin is loving ourselves more than God. Sin is idolatry. And God hates it. And he cannot sweep it under the rug because he's holy and because he's just. 
The simple attitudes and actions of human beings in Isaiah's day provokes and invites God's discipline and his punishing wrath. That's the bad news. And the bad news from then hasn't changed for us today. As dark and as scary and as ugly as sin is, as terrible as wickedness is, the wrath of God is worse news than facing the brokenness and sin in our world. The book of Hebrews reminds us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Isaiah 34, 2 says it this way. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. The Lord has a sword and it is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat. God promises wrath to the nations that are oppressing and afflicting his own people, and he promises to use those nations to enact his own wrath and his discipline on his own people who have rebelled against him. And this guilt, the guilt that Israel bears, is the same kind of guilt that we bear against and before a holy God. That's the bad news. You and I are guilty. We're guilty and we stand condemned. The good news that we need is not just to be dusted off. The good news that we need isn't just helping us to achieve all of our New Year's resolutions this year. The good news we need is not winning the lottery. The good news we need is not the new house or the new car or the new job or a bigger Christmas bonus. The good news that you need and I need is to hear that somebody's willing to do something about that guilt. The good news that we need won't be good news to us unless we understand the bad news first. The good news will be nonsense to us if we don't understand that we are truly guilty. And if we know, if we know our inner corruption, if we understand our guilt before a holy God, then this is the best news in the world. That God himself has a plan to deal with your guilt. God has a plan. God's going to act. God is going to move when we couldn't. Good news has to affect. Good news has to have an impact on actual reality for it to have any kind of impact in our lives. The good news of Christmas will be mere fleeting sentimentality without the incarnation of Jesus. Good news has to collide with tangible reality to be understood and experienced as a good thing. I have a friend who lives in tornado country, and in 2013, there was a massive tornado that ripped through the town that he lived in that year, and when it happened, he was on the phone with his wife. The tornado was in the area, so he told her to take shelter, and I think he told her to take shelter in like a bathtub or a closet or something like that because there aren't any basements where he lives. But he told her not to leave their house 
And at the same time, he also told her what he was going to do, that he was going to try and get inside this Home Depot that was close by with a lot of other people to try and find some sort of safety and shelter. And the tornado came through and it ended up completely leveling his home. And he had told his wife, stay put. And the Home Depot was also completely demolished. Three walls out of four were completely knocked down. So he's inside the Home Depot. He's one of the people that's inside the safe room and is actually untouched by this massive disaster. And the last thing he heard somebody say to him was that the tornado was on a beeline for his neighborhood. He's wrecked in this moment because he's sure that he's just killed his wife and kids. Cell towers are down. There's no service. He can't call her. He has no way of knowing what's happened. And all he knows, the last thing he said was stay right in the path of that tornado. And then out of nowhere, his wife just walks through the door. She didn't listen to the instructions that he gave. And instead, she threw the kids in the car and drove away from the tornado. And when it was safe, she drove to the Home Depot to find him. And their house was absolutely demolished. And my buddy, my buddy thought that that was, that was it. He was sure that she was dead and gone. And then she walks through the door. Utter despair, utter darkness, utter hopelessness had been transformed in an instant into pure joy and pure rejoicing. And the sentence that we have against us, the sentence of sin against humanity, the judgment against rebellious sinners in front of a holy God is that hopeless and dark and despairing. The situation is dire and we all stood guilty without any options. We all have earned the wrath of God. We've all profaned the glory of God. We're all dead in our sins, unable to change a thing. And that, that is where you find the joy of Advent in that dark moment. God decides to do something about it. He comes into our situation. He comes into this deep darkness, into utter hopelessness, and he shines. He shines. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you're a believer in the room this morning, you were lost, but now you're found. You were blind. You were dead. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't change yourself. Your situation was doomed. And in the history of the world, the kind of cosmic situation looked doomed. And then God makes promises like this one in the book of Isaiah, promising that one day there will be news showing up on the scene that changes everything. Ray Ortland in his commentary on Isaiah says, we might think of someone today pacing back and forth, back and forth, waiting in suspense for an important phone call. And then when he hears it ring, he jumps up in excitement. The joy of Advent is that the long awaited good news has come. The joy of Advent is that God intervened in all of human history. He came to us to save us because we could not save ourselves. In this moment, 
In this moment, even before I move forward, I want, I want, to, I want to be explicit. I want to ask, I want to invite the people in this room to understand that there is no darkness. There is no darkness too dark for the light of Jesus Christ to pierce and change. If you're in something dark right now, don't resign yourself that this is all there is. We do a weird thing. We tend to, during seasons like this especially, if there's, if there's a make-believe kind of five levels of depth to a human person, we kind of let the realities of this time sink into levels one or two or three, and we save the deeper places, like four and five, the deeper places where we nurture or nurse or hide our resentment or our bitterness or our envy or our entitlement or our anger. We kind of have those things hidden down deep in us and we keep them separate from this sort of surfacey level joy that comes during seasons like this. So if you're in darkness, deep down in sin or, or envy or judgment or bitterness or conceit, don't be resigned to stay there. If you're in the darkness of despair or the darkness of a hard heart, you don't have to stay there. The joy of Advent is that the light has come. The joy of Advent is that true freedom has come. Don't be resigned to be sour or bitter or resentful or angry. Take Christ and let his light shine and melt those things away. There can be no true peace without the joy of Advent. The situation's dire and the answer's not inside you. The peace and happiness that you seek and long for cannot, hap cannot happen without the appearance and the work of Jesus. Advent is not a time when we grin and sort of bear it. It isn't a time that we run on the fumes of arid sentimentality. All the lights and all the food and all the gifts are pointing to the only place where hope, peace, joy, and love can truly be found. There's no good news unless we understand the bad news. And there is no peace unless we understand our hostility that had to be overcome. The joy offered to you in Jesus is a joy that comes when you understand that the peace you needed most is peace with God himself. In this text, the peace mentioned is a peace that's won for a city that's been under attack or a people that have been under attack. And this is a picture that points not to the enemies at the gates, not to the enemies outside of us at the door, but to the enemy inside your own heart. We need freedom, not so much from outside oppressors in our day and age like they did in Isaiah's day, but from our bondage to sin. The peace you needed was a peace between you and God, not peace between nations. The scriptures tell us that we were at enmity with God, that we were enemies of God, that we need to be reconciled back to God, and that this kind of teary-eyed joy is what Advent brings. He did that for you. 
The bad news was bad, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men is you and me. And Jesus came to change it. The bad news is that our sin puts us in a hostile relationship with God. And the joy of Advent is that God doesn't pretend that that doesn't matter. He clears our guilt by sending Jesus and sending him for a reason to climb onto a cross and bear all the wrath of God. The kind of wrath from Isaiah 34. The blood that, ra- the, blood that the wrath of God demands. And sin does demand blood. The blood that the wrath of God demands is provided in the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. The hostility that you had towards God isn't swept under the rug. It's punished in the torn flesh of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus died and we die with him in his death so that we can live with him in his resurrection. The situation looks hopeless. It looks like everything's lost. It looks like the tornado It looks like the tornado leveled our house and our wife and kids are dead. It looks hopeless. The darkness is as black as night. And there aren't any cute tricks that humans can play to get God to look the other way. That's the truth. But God loved the world. And he loved the world in this way. He sent his only son that whosoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. The joy that Advent brings is the joy that knows, that knows that only God, a loving, compassionate God could fix this. Only God could change this. The joy of Advent is for the person who comprehends and apprehends, gets a grip on their own situation, that understands outside of the news that God isn't done yet. God's going to act. He's going to stretch out his holy arm and do something about everything. Outside of that act of God, we are lost. And you and me, who were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's us. We can have peace with God that we couldn't get for ourselves. There can be no true peace between you and God without the joy of Advent, without Christ appearing. There can be no true happiness without the joy of Advent. Verse 7 says, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of the person that brings good news, that brings news of happiness. And then there's this singing in verse 9 that one scholar says, signifies entering joyfully into a benefit for which one has not worked. A response to blessings another has freely provided. The kind of happiness you need is impossible without the joy of Advent, without the appearing of Jesus Christ. Human flourishing, human peace, human wholeness, human happiness is something that only God can accomplish. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this kind of joy is only possible in right relationship with God. It's a joy that recognizes our need and recognizes his mercy, his kindness, his presence in our lives. 
There's no hope for humanity outside of Jesus coming to reconcile us to God. There is no peace for humanity outside of Jesus coming to reconcile us to God. There's no happiness for humanity outside of the joy of Jesus coming to reconcile us back to God. The world's version of joy, of success, of acclaim, of happiness are impotent. The world's versions of pleasure and satisfaction and cheer will be vapid without the gospel. The world's versions of happiness are scrawny and frail. The joy of the scriptures is deep and weighty and full. It's the kind of joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross. The kind of deep satisfaction that the scriptures offer is one that no amount of loss in this life can ultimately steal from you. The happiness mentioned in our text is the happiness that comes from knowing that God has done what you could never do. God has come to you. God's come to us. Where peace was elusive, he himself is our peace. That's the joy that the advent of Jesus Christ brings into the world. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lastly, the joy of Advent is this, salvation has come. Salvation has come. That's the news. One scholar puts it this way. According to the imagery, peace is the end of war and threat. Good tidings means that there is no bad news to mar the situation. And salvation means that the power of the oppressor has been broken and those in bondage released. The result is that the kingship of the Lord is affirmed and established over all the power of the enemy. In the first advent, Christ, God the Son, came. The Nicene Creed says it this way. He came for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became a man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In the first advent, the penalty for sin was paid was paid. The perfect righteousness that we need in order to have a right standing before God was accomplished. The wrath of God was propitiated. Christ bore it all. The forgiveness of our sins was bought with his blood. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. In the advent of Jesus Christ, you can have hope now. You can have peace now. You can have joy now. When Jesus came, the seed of the woman finally shows up to crush the seed of the serpent's head forever. Forever. Jesus came to destroy all the works of darkness. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In the advent of Jesus, salvation has come. It's here now. 
And in his life and death and resurrection, he's also the new Adam, the first fruits of new creation. In his ascension to the right hand of the Father, he's taken his place as Lord and King. And what's he king of? His final eschatological kingdom. What we celebrate at Christmas is that Christ came into history as the second Adam. And just like we're all guilty because of Adam's disobedience, we can all be made righteous through Christ's obedience. Jesus came not only to free you from a guilty conscience, but he came to usher in his full kingdom. This is the advent joy of looking at what Christ has accomplished for you in his first coming and then living your life like he's coming back to finish what he started. Isaiah 52, 9 through 10 says, Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The first advent... The first advent was the inauguration of the kingdom and the second advent will be the consummation. And the nations, the nations from Isaiah 34 where it says, for the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. Well now all those nations will see the salvation of God. That's the good news. Those nations who were once the theater of God's wrath will now become the theater of God's salvation and it will spread across the earth. Again, Pastor Ray Orland says, there is no end to the impact of the gospel. It's, it's the only cause in the world that will finally succeed. Isaiah envisions a lone messenger running to the city of God with good news, welcomed by the watchman on the city wall, the city bursting into song, drawing the, drawing the nations into the spreading circle of joy as far as the ends of the earth, end quote. Christmas is about the gospel. Advent is about the gospel. Christmas is about the kingdom of God. Christmas is about the glory of God. Christmas is about God's unstoppable program to cover the whole earth with the knowledge and the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Christmas is about victory. Christmas is about rock solid hope and supernatural peace and unquenchable joy and unconquerable love. And it isn't always cute or clean or well-contained. Christmas is the story of a king coming back to take his kingdom. And sometimes that still offends our pious sensibilities because old, God's ultimate victory required human sacrifice. This story is earthy and gritty and drenched with the blood of a humble Savior King. The joy that we sing about at Advent is the joy that every single promise in the scriptures is coming true. The joy that we sing about at Advent is the joy that every single promise in the scriptures is coming true. The joy that we sing about at Advent is that every ugly thing in our lives and every ugly thing inside of our hearts is being undone and overcome. The joy that we sing about at Advent is that our redemption was only the beginning. Jesus isn't done yet. So, so let us this Christmas live and work like we believe the day's truly coming 
when the king will return to make all things new. And as I close this morning, I want to do it by asking a couple questions. We have a week left of Advent, and Christmas Day will be here before you know it, just a couple short days away. And as you prepare to host family or you prepare to travel, I want you to ask yourself, maybe with your family and with your kids, what makes Advent good tidings of great joy for you and your family? And maybe ask it a couple layers down. Maybe don't stop at the top, but ask it and then ask it again and then ask it again and then ask it again and see how deep you can take it. What's the good news? In our text today, we see the celebration is a celebration of victory. So ask yourself and name it. What has God saved you from? What has he delivered you from? And is that good news still precious to you? Is it, is it worth singing about for you? And then question number two, what would it look like for you to embrace the joy that Christ bought for you? What would that look like in your life to cultivate joy, to protect joy, to fight for joy that only Christ can give to you? Joy, that, that concept is, is all over the New Testament with multiple different words. Things like consider it pure joy when you experience trials. Things like I have spoken that your joy may be full all the way to the brim. Things like the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So now it might be a fight it might be two steps forward and one step back, and it may be deep, and it may even be difficult and hard and full of tears. It might not be glossy like, like the season kind of markets to us. And I pray that it isn't just a veneer, but there is good news glad tidings of great joy. Our God has come and he's overcome all of our defenses, all of our sin, all of our guilt. There's cause for rejoicing this morning because of the advent of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you deepen our enjoyment of everything that you've done for us? Would it not be a distant story, but would it be proximate? Would it be inside us? Would it be something that we experience and it orients us and it sinks down into the deepest places of our hearts? So much so that it does prompt us to confess sin, confess darkness, turn from twisted, empty ways and embrace the gospel, embrace forgiveness, embrace what you offer. I pray, Lord, would you, would you make us a happy people, but a deep happiness, a joy-filled people? Would you take this season and would you make it richer to us and even more meaningful to us? 
Would it be important to us? Because of everything that you've done. Would you fill us with joy in this place? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Help us turn from things that seek to kind of poison or contaminate that joy. And help us turn to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.